firefighter and an EMS professional. You are a part of a worldwide brotherhood of dedicated servants and you put your life on the line every day for others. Because of that, you deserve better. We are often our own worst enemies and it's time to own it. Let's work to improve and change the status quo. That change starts with us, right here, right now. In every situation we're faced with, as we see a need, we own it and we take action. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be ignited. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Rodriguez and I'm the founder of Ignited and your host for the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. The Ignited Movement is a brotherhood of firefighters who challenge the status quo through a forum dedicated to self-improvement and accountability. In each of these episodes, we discuss a myriad of different things challenging the fire service today, from leadership and tactics to how to improve ourselves physically as well as mentally. We aim to civilize the mind but make savage the body. And even though the focus is on the fire service, topics and principles we discuss can be applied by professionals everywhere. That being said, let's light the spark. With all the craziness of what's going on in the world right now, rioting, looting, and murders going unchecked, our brothers in blue have a lot on their plate. Those working on the front lines when it comes to maintaining order have some particular challenges that they're currently facing. Those of us in the fire service know what it's like to work toward mitigating the stressors of the things that we see and the jobs that we're tasked with. However, I wanted to get the perspective of a police officer who has worked in the field for over 20 years. Today, I share with you a conversation I had with Chris Hoyer. He just retired from the Phoenix Police Department about two years ago, and in that time, he's been busy speaking to officers and other public safety workers across the country about his experiences and how he dealt with them. He also wrote a book called When That Day Comes, where he goes into more depth about the things he saw and how he handled them, and continues to keep the demons at bay today. I hope this interview helps to shine a light on the role that we don't necessarily get to see all that often. And by the end, I hope you come away with a sense that we're all people trying to do a job and not be taken over by the darkness that would otherwise envelop us. So, without further delay, here's my conversation with Chris Hoyer. All right, Mr. Chris Hoyer, author of When That Day Comes, police officer, well, retired police officer, I guess I would say. How are you doing, my friend? Doing awesome, man. Doing awesome. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome on. Um, haven't seen you for several months. I think the last time we saw each other was, um, what, Avondale, the event, the uh, Nothing But Love Notes event, yeah? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was a long cool. time ago, it seems like, so. Right on. And speaking of that, that was, uh, we had met each other through Natalie, her mutual friend, your lady friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amazing, amazing lady, amazing woman doing amazing stuff. And I was fortunate enough to have her on the show early on. And I'm glad I got you on now, man. This is cool. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. Yeah, she's, she's unbelievable. I don't even know how we got connected so well, but she's just, she's just unreal, man. So always moving, always doing stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) for sure. So. All right, brother. Well, let's uh, let's kind of jump into it, and we'll um, give me a little intro as to who you are and what cool. your career as a police officer kind of looked like, if you would. All right. 
Yeah, can do. Um, if it's okay, if it's uh, not out of out of line, which I'm sure it's not, it would be okay if we uh, dedicated this episode to Dave Glasser. Absolutely, we absolutely uh, can do that. He's the officer we're going to talk about here later, later on during the book portion of it. But uh, yeah, so I retired coming up. Matter of fact, next week will be uh, two years I retired Phoenix PD, and mm-hmm. uh, did 20 years and 64 days on the nose. Not that I'm counting, but <laughs> uh, in that time I was pretty much on one specialty unit after I got off patrol back in 2003, uh, late two, late 0203, give or take. And I stayed on that same unit for about 16 years. And that was a sort of a half patrol, half undercover, half catch-all squad. We pretty much got into everything that you can imagine. So pretty, pretty neat actually. So Right on. That's cool. So you've kind of seen a lot of different, a lot of different aspects of the job. Yeah, I've, you know, I was able to train with our canine guys, SWAT guys, and uh, we, we were able to do a lot of our own stuff. You know, nothing that was too awful dangerous. We had, you know, some search warrant entry stuff that we did and did some stuff that I didn't care for too much, like the riot stuff. We'll talk about that, of course. And then um, a lot of prostitution things, you know, doing some not necessarily undercover stuff, but more plain clothes kind of stuff. So, right. Um, yeah, we got to see a little bit of everything out there, which is actually pretty cool. So. Yeah, I mean, I honestly feel like, uh, you know, when you hear a police officer or a firefighter, a lot of times people just think it's the one thing you do, you know, like there's just one aspect of the job. But um, with firefighter, you know, if you got engineer, captain, hazmat, wildland, um, you know, TRT, all kinds of different specialties. And I was even doing SWAT for a while as a firefighter, like I was the medic on the SWAT team. And so it offers a bunch of different like dynamic roles. And so it's interesting to read in your book when that day comes, you, you talk about um, working in those different capacities because a lot of people, you know, think of police officer and you're either like in a police car running a beat all the time or you're a detective, you know, and they, a lot of times they don't realize that there's a bunch more dynamic uh, positions that go into it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's, it's pretty much endless, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what, which one of the capacities that you served in do you think was your favorite? I really liked having, it was, it was a split because I really liked being a patrol car. just saw chasing mm-hmm. bad guys getting into stuff, but I was also afforded the opportunity with my unit to be able to go plain clothes and see things up close. The uh, disadvantage to that was sometimes you weren't able to go hands-on because you were plain clothes and you wanted the guys in uniform to make that presence. True. Um, but either one of those, I would go, you know, we go like a week uniform or a week plain clothes or what have you. And both of them were just a ball because, you know, some days you're, you're chasing a bad guy down the freeway. Other days you're just watching a drug deal go down and you, just, you never know what you're going to get. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's true. And that's, I think that's one of the main reasons. Well, for me anyway, I know that's one of the, the really good uh, appealing aspects of public service, law enforcement or, you know, firefighting is it, you don't really like have to bring your briefcase home. You know, you don't particularly, I mean, if you're a detective and higher you climb, yeah, you'll be working on cases and this and that. But if you're more of like a shift work side, you just kind of show up and do your job. You know, the, the day's never the same. And then you go home. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. And especially out in Maryville for the folks that know that area, that's where I did most of my work out there. I started up in uh, Cactus Park precinct on 39th yeah. Avenue Cactus, which was actually, a lot busier than people give it credit for. And then I was going to say, 
Uh, it, it was out of control. My area basically was like 27th Avenue and Indian School, Camelback area. And uh, holy cow, man, it was just jumping all day long every day. So. I was going to say lots of activity, man. Lots of activity in that area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, Maryville is just it's a constant flow of everything you can imagine. Everything. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so you mentioned the, working on the riot, riot team or whatnot. But with all the things going on today, like specifically with the riots and the protests and it's hard for, you know, a lot of these people don't specifically draw the line between the riot and the protest. <laughs> and so it's hard to identify who's who, but um, with the, there's like this growing rift between, you know, a certain community and society like the black community specifically right now with everything going on and police officers. And I was wondering what are your, what are your thoughts on all these things going on with that? Like, how do you, you perceive it now you're two years retired, but, you know, being in it for 20 years and in the area you were in, you know, you served that community a lot. So I was just interested to hear some of your takeaways and your thoughts on, on this whole thing going on. It's, it's a, it's a revolving door, unfortunately, on a, on a kind of a bad way, because I think that a lot of people, you know, I'm going to say it out loud on the bad side of things, you know, the criminal element and then on the good mm-hmm. side of things, you know, the professionals, you know, the first responders, EMTs and firefighters and these kinds of things. I think that a, a lot of what's being missed is accountability, you know, mm-hmm. and I think on the police side of things, cause I did that for years, you know, standing on the line, getting spit at and rocks thrown at me and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think we were held to a level of impartiability and partially which uh, what I'm trying to say here. Basically trying to stay impartial. Yeah. And sometimes it's very, very difficult to do that when you've got somebody banging a drum in your ear for 45 minutes straight. Right. But at the same time, you know, the people that are doing that, you know, they need to be held accountable for what they're doing. And we as police officers or first responders in general, sometimes we take that stuff personally and we, we just can't do that because we've got to remain professional. And it's, that's probably the hardest part for me. So, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to watch people going through this now on both sides of the fence and know that they're struggling for whatever their cause is and they're not really achieving any ground, you know? Right. Yeah. I think one of the things is that, that makes it so hard is that both sides are so emotionally charged, you know, like we as public servants have to deal with those emotions and kind of put them aside, hopefully not ignore them, but have to put them aside, like you said, and not take things personal, you know, be that professional. And uh, the other side, the, it tends to be a little bit more emotional, I feel, from, from what I've witnessed. And, uh, but I've also witnessed some really standout uh, people who are thinking logically and actually want to come to a resolution and are looking for a solution instead of just, you know, like you said, banging the drum in your ear for 45 minutes. <laughs> because, that doesn't really do anything for anyone other than just create more of a rift, I feel. Well, I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. And I also think that, you know, the police and the, the fireside, basically, we hold those emotions until it's a, a time of opportunity for us, you know, um, yeah. versus the people that are actually out there protesting, their emotions are right there on the surface right then and there. And that I think that's the major difference. We're not allowed to show any emotion because again, we need to remain professional. And that's very difficult, especially when you're talking about loss of life you right, know, on yeah. both sides. 
and it's it's always senseless. It's never justified, no matter how it is. And right. that just makes it that much more difficult for everybody to to wrap their head around it. And it's like, man, no, that's that guy didn't need to die for some stupid reason, you know, whatever it is. Right. So. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, like, I understand that there was some things in his past and whatnot, but at the same time, it's like, well, that's, that doesn't necessarily warrant a, a murder sentence in the street, you know? Um, but yeah, like you said, sometimes we have to like postpone those emotions and that was a good way to put it. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about in kind of coattailing off of that with all, all the things going on in 2020, which is a pretty big year for you. Cause you know, this book came out, the book you wrote when that day comes training for the fight, I've worked my way through it a little bit. I've taken some notes on some things I'd like to talk to you about. And uh, in it, you talked about your experiences specifically with PD and how there were some pretty heavy things that you had to see and deal with. And, and some, you know, some people go their whole career without ever having to pull their gun or fire their weapon. And uh, same goes for like on the fire side. Some guys could go their whole career without having that quote unquote career fire, you know, right. um, but, but you had a pretty concentrated dose. And, and now that you're in retirement, uh, do you feel like it's, it's a little easier or maybe more difficult to observe the things that are going on right now? Um, it's, it's way easier, um, personally for me, because I'm not involved with it, you know, uh -huh. and it's, it's wonderful that, I mean, I'm going to say it this way that I'm not getting shot at. And I just, I really do like that. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> you know, watch, watching my brothers and sisters in blue out there fighting the fight, you know, it's, it's heart wrenching for me. Cause I, I know what they're going through. I've been there and done that. And I really, really want to do what I've done for 20 years and, and be that savior guy, that helper person, you know, and I just can't because mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many different ways that I want to be able to do it. And I pretty much have no opportunity to do so, except for with Natalie, you know, mm -hmm. God bless her. She's just a total rock star. What right. we do together oftentimes is just, we just hand out these love notes, as you know, um, or mm -hmm. mail stuff out or just stop people and just say thank you and these kinds of things. And that, I feel like I'm, I'm making a huge impact, but it's still not enough because I'm not like on the front lines with them anymore, if that makes sense. Right. No, that totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure how your, your shift used to work. Did you do like 12 hour stints? Is that what it was? We typically did uh, four tens. Oh, okay. For the most part, though, which was nice. Cause when you got a three day weekend, which you definitely need for that decompression time. So. Right. Exactly. And so for me, my schedule is a 48 96. And so I'm at work for two days straight and then I have four days off, which is really nice. But at the same time, like on those four days off, we'll be, you know, out, to eat or something. And then I'll see something on social media where, you know, my department's fighting a really big fire or this and that. And I do have that slight feeling of, Oh man, I wish I could be there to, right. yeah. to help out with that. You know? So it's like that. What is it? Maybe like frontline withdrawal. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I, I, so, I mean, I can totally understand that. And, and you, you want to like struggle with your brothers and sisters, you know, like you want to be there with them and help them through that. So, yeah, you know, I I'm going to just, I'm going to take that step further from me, you know, because yeah. I, I remind people of why did you get started in this, in this business to begin with, you know, and it right. took me a couple of years to figure out that it was, it was for a purpose, you know, and when yeah. you have that purpose, it makes all the difference in the world prefer, you know, professionally and personally in your life. And then when you 
lose that purpose, so to speak. And you I mean, you walk away from it like I did. I walked away, you know, my head held high honorably and everything else. But when I lost that purpose, so to speak, it was, it was a struggle to find new purpose, you know what I mean? Right. And I did, yeah. fortunately, I was, I was just blessed to be able to find something, you know, and someone that I could share those things with. And it was just amazing. Um, so. Agreed. Yeah. We see it uh, in the fire service too. Um, you know, when guys retire, sometimes they just kind of let things go. And then we, we go to a retirement party and then a few years later we go to a funeral or, you know, and it's terrible because like you said, um, sometimes they just lose that sense of purpose. Yeah, that's and, absolutely uh, true. And it's, that's extremely common with first responders for people that don't know, because again, you, you lose that adrenaline dump every single day and then you go to, you take your first year or two off and then you're having a good time, you know, traveling and doing whatever. And then yeah. you start going into slight depressions. And then if you're in a situation where, you were already kind of on the, on the edge of not taking care of yourself physically, you know, that always diminishes if you, now you don't have to, to keep it up. Right. You're pretty much you're eating the cheesecakes every day and, you know, and then you start yeah. heart disease and these kinds of things. And <laughs> it's true. You know, so, but I think nowadays, cause when I got hired on 97, that was a big thing that they talked about. And I think over the last, you know, 20 some odd years, 22 years now, give or take over time, that has kind of evolved into, Hey, more self-awareness. We need to start taking care of ourselves mm -hmm. throughout our careers, not just toward the end, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't really play catch up. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that's, that's absolutely true. So. Yeah. Um, it's like when people, when people will call us for EMS stuff and you know, they call us because they're having a hard time breathing, but they've spent 40, 50 years smoking themselves into COPD and then they call us because they have shortness of breath. We're like, well, you know, we can only do so much. Like I can't, yeah, I can't we, go we back in time and stop you. Yeah. From doing this to yours. Like you were already behind the eight ball, but oh. I totally get that. Um, with, uh, with the idea of purpose, like I love being a firefighter and, and when you, I mean, a 20 year career for you, that's, that's a big deal. And I'm sure you, you know, reading your book and everything, knowing, knowing what I know about you, you love the job. You loved the job. And, Absolutely. and I'm, and I'm the same way. Like I love what I do, but I feel like that's not what defines me. You know what I mean? Like I'm a firefighter, but it's not particularly what defines me. And I like the fact that, that you're a police officer. Um, and now being retired, you said you talked about finding that purpose, but now you can add author to that identity. <laughs> right, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like that's amazing. amazing. My friends are like, you can't write a police report, but you can write a book. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Right? Then you just tell them about. Uh, then you just tell them about speak to type, and it, it works out. <laughs> and you well, don't have to actually find, physically uh, write it. You find the most amazing person on the planet to actually edit it for you, and she did the right? whole thing. Right? Oh man, boy, did that fall into place. That's awesome. <laughs> um, in in your book, you stated that you talked about how you deal with with the emotional challenges. You said that you quote, face them head on, but realize that everyone's different. And I totally get that. And I'm a lot like you in that, in that I feel like I need to confront things like head on. Sure. Um, but I'd still like to hear your method of approach when it comes to that. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you really quick. Um, the reason why I wrote that portion of it was because I was your typical, you know, 10 foot tall, nothing can touch me, Teflon cop, not realizing that the stuff that I was 
seeing day in and day out was finally getting to me. And it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't until after I retired that I finally figured out that, you know, I should have been doing that all along. I should have been checking myself on a, on a very regular basis. And what I thought I was doing to, to fix those things during wasn't what I was actually doing. Cause what I would do is I would go to the beach or I'd go to the woods or I'd get on my motorcycle and I would free myself from the ugliness of the world. But mm-hmm. the problem with that I, that I was doing with that was I was only letting myself go, but I wasn't processing the information, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that totally makes sense. So what I started doing, you know, it was, it was actually pretty close to my retirement when I started figuring out that I needed to start working on something better than what I was doing. I started actually asking myself very specific questions that I didn't have anybody else to argue with except for myself. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I would just stop on the side of the road and just write down questions that I couldn't answer. And later on I would go back and I would address those questions with, you know, the city shrink who I had a tremendous amount of respect for and my personal shrink who both, you know, talked me off the ledge several times, including, mm-hmm. um, you know, just close friends and squad mates and these kinds of things. And I would throw different ideas out to them about things that I was going through to find out what their responses were. And I took all those things, accumulated them, if you will, and just started figuring out, okay, well, what, what can I do to fix myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And specifically, you know, one or two things I, I wish I could tell you, but that's why I said everybody's built differently for me. What it was, was doing exactly like I said, talking to lots of other people. And when I, after, you know, Dave was killed out there in the street in 2016, I started doing public speaking venues and just talking about it on a regular basis. And what came from that was me teaching other guys what I had learned and where I had failed, you know, by Mm -hmm. not processing the information. So, yeah, I know that's a lot of information. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's totally fine. That's exactly why we're here. That's exactly why we're talking. Um, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I think there's a big stigma in, in the, uh, firefighting world and the police world because you know we have to be those ones who are strong who are tough and then a lot of times if we if we show that vulnerability to each other it tend sometimes it's interpreted a lot of times the guys take it as a weakness and then they pounce absolutely um and and one of the things yeah yeah exactly and uh one of the things that that I'm trying to do is shine a light on that and show that the vulnerability and being open and talking is actually very, takes a lot of strength. It's. Oh, absolutely. I'll I'll say it another way. Um, Yeah. What I said basically was in my, in my case, you know, I'll I'll get into this a little bit more later on, but you know, in the 18 years that I had on, um, you can't see, you know, and I don't care what kind of first responder you are, you can't see the kinds of things that shake people to their very foundations and not expect to be screwed up, you know? Right. And if you, if you think you're not screwed up, you're probably in denial. And just like, right. Are, you know? Yeah. And one of my absolute all time favorite quotes that I stole from somebody else who I can't even remember who it was now because it's just so awesome. But, um, was it's okay to say you're not okay. You know? Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the big challenge is a lot of guys will do that. But how do they do that, you know, in public, if you will, to their peers right. or to their squad mates or to their clergy or whatever else? Because yeah. 
the biggest fear for us as first responders and, you know, carrying around a badge and a gun and wearing a vest and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you look cool. And like in my case, sending selfies to my mom with my rifle on, you know, look how cool I am. <laughs> you know, exposing that weaker side of yourself is, is unacceptable. You can't do that. Well, yeah. you, you, you need to. You have, absolutely have to because if yeah. you don't, you're not going to survive your career, you know. Yeah, and exactly. Obviously, we know it's a hot topic, and I, I hate even bringing it up, but, you know, 22 soldiers a day, and I don't know how many officers a year, firefighters included, you know, taking their own lives. I mean, that is, yeah. I mean, I just, I can't even wrap my brain around that, you know? Yeah, it, it, it hurts. It hurts me. That, that honestly, it was one of the biggest reasons that I found it ignited and started doing this and, and started opening up this conversation because 2017, I realized that uh, line of duty deaths surpassed or, or it was suicides that had surpassed line of duty deaths. That's, that's incredible. That, I just blows and, me away. Yeah. I, I just couldn't even, I, I, I wanted to find out like what, what's causing all this. And, and just like you said, you have to be willing to talk about it. And then I think step one is admitting it to yourself, you know, yeah. not oh, being, yeah. removing that denial, being able that's, to be vulnerable with yourself and be like, you know what, I'm struggling dealing with this thing that I saw or this thing that I went through. And in order for me to be like the best firefighter or the best police officer that I can be, I got to, I got to deal with it. I got to fix oh, it. Yeah. And you know, the thing that I, I hate the most is, you know, what I want guys to avoid is what happened with me where I was at rock bottom before I finally got to that point where I'm going, yeah, you know what? I'm, I think I'm kind of screwed up, you know? And there's right. specific things that I discovered about myself when I told somebody at our employee assistance unit that I was going to go find a place to hide that was the deciding factor to like, no, you're, you're that guy, man. You're always out there chasing stuff. Why would you be going to hide? So right. that's where it all started for me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I want people to realize that, Hey man, you know what you, you see a, you know, a drowning for example, or a car accident or whatever it is, or just, you know, it's a kind of a silly case to think about it, but you put away a criminal for 25 years to life based on an investigation, you know, your investigation led to this guy going to jail for the rest of his life. Some people have a problem with that, you know, yeah. in all reality, we know it's, that's the way it's going to have to be, but that's just another example of, Hey, these are things that are, are building over time that you need to face and take on head on. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And believe yeah. me when I tell you, I got another friend, she works up in uh, a dot up in Northern Arizona and mm -hmm. her biggest thing was always, I thought I was the only one going through this. Well, yeah. I guarantee you're not, you know, hundred percent guaranteed. There's plenty of other people that have been through the same thing that have figured out how to get around it, you know? So, and that's the great lie, isn't it? Like we all tell ourselves, like you feel alone, like I'm alone in this. And, and our whole oh, yeah. thing is like, you're not alone. Like we talk a big game about brothers and sisters and this and that. And we slap each other on the back at funerals and are like, we're brothers and this and that. And then when it comes down to it, we tend to just kind of, hide away in our little silos and yep, you know if, if somebody's struggling with something well we don't dare want to talk to them about it because then we might look like we're insulting and and like to be honest I'd rather I'd rather be looked at as a dickhead for coming to you and, and asking you how you feel than going to your funeral you know <laughs> I couldn't agree more man I'll tell you what so, and, uh, I know we're gonna talk about it more but Dave Glasser you know God rest yeah. his soul his yeah. thing was He'd always, and it, it was funny because I wasn't on his squad, I was on a sister squad, but mm -hmm. his thing was always telling everybody that, you know, I love you, 
you know and his mm-hmm. his squad mates at the time were like dude uh, okay yeah sure. <laughs> yeah okay <Yeah>. weirdo <laughs> yeah, yeah and it was it was it was very it wasn't uncomfortable per se but it became so infectious you yeah. know that it was like man this is this is a big deal and it, it has to go further than just telling people hey man i got yeah. your back you know yeah. um and you I'll be, I'll be the first to admit even in my case i've got a lot of my buddies that are still struggling with some stuff and i reach out to them on a semi-regular basis but i don't always maintain that consistency and that's where i fail some of my friends you know it's like man you yeah. need to keep it going you can't just check on the guy once a month and just assume that he's all right you know right yeah and that's where brotherhood comes in right yeah absolutely and a lot of these guys i guarantee they are not going to ask you for help even though they're they're pretty much begging for it on the inside they're waiting for somebody to ask them to go ahead and release all that stuff but until that happens oftentimes they won't do it on their own which is kind of a shame but you know yeah what it is tough man it's tough like um you just once you've once you've walked and navigated that minefield um, you've got a semblance of, of how to do it. And so I feel like once you've done that thing, you can more easily pick up on the signs and symptoms of the people around you who are struggling with that thing. Oh, absolutely. You know? 100%. And so and like your you radar kind of goes up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky too, in my opinion, because then you got guys like me who have been through all kinds of really bad stuff throughout their careers. And, you start being that, you know, that super touchy feely feel good guy, man. Hey, man are you okay? And you're up in everybody's business and it's like, Hey man, you know what? Leave me alone. So you, it's a very fine line of, you know, checking on people or being in their business, if that makes any sense, you know? And that's, yeah, no, I get that's, it. That's where you just got to get personal and know people, you know, and you can say, Hey man, I think you're screwed up. What are we, what are we going to do about it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's like that shield that we all put up like shield for police officers. And for us, we have the Maltese and we don't want to, we don't want to let anybody in behind that, but it's like, man, yeah, sometimes you gotta, you gotta take it off. You know, if this is the true brotherhood that you say it is, then, then like, let's, let's do it. Let's be actionable brothers. Like let's do the thing. I think if if nothing else of this entire conversation you were not having, if that was like standard issue, man, that would be, I think that would probably change people's worlds. Honestly, man. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. We, uh, we stress a lot of like physical health when it comes to being a firefighter, being a police officer. I mean, we each have our own respective physical um, elements of the hiring process. Right. And, and like, it's a big, it's a big thing. Like, you know, how much can you bench? How much bush? How long can you run? And And it's like, we, we put such a huge uh, emphasis on physical strength and wellness. And then we kind of neglect the mental wellness, the mental health aspect. And I think it's biting us in the ass right now. And and we are forced, we're having to play catch up right now. Um, But I think, uh, yeah, like by having conversations like this, we can kind of put it at the forefront. And, and like you said, the more you talk about it, the more people feel okay talking about it, which is crucial. I think it's, I think it's life saving actually. I mean, it's absolutely. um, Cause I know, I mean, I was never on the side of, you know, taking my own life or anything, but I knew that I was not okay. And my boss knew I was not okay. And we went at it round and round and round and I made some huge mistakes, you know, nothing that was compromising my safety on the street or anybody else's, but 
just some of the stuff I was saying and the decisions I was making, you know, and it was, it, it wasn't me at all. It just wasn't me. Right. I started recognizing that. And I'm like, wait a second, what, what the hell's wrong with me, man? I just, I got into this field and just go chase bad guys and have fun, you know, and now right. it's not fun anymore, you know? Yeah. So. And do you feel that, uh, do you feel that your, your supervisor, the person you mentioned, do you feel that they were in tune with you enough that, that they were able to see that? And, and I think, uh, well, press yes the issue, no. maybe in the, in the very beginning stages, um, just, just pretty much the entire book. Um, and I, the PowerPoint thing that I do, the public speaking stuff that I do mm-hmm. is all revolving around Dave Glasser incident. Mm-hmm. So in the very beginning in the first probably year to maybe a year and a couple of months. Yeah. I mean, I had every single person in the world doing everything that they could to help me out. And it was phenomenal. It was actually overwhelming, but I fell into that trap of saying, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. You know, and I thought I was healed in the whole nine yards. Well, what I didn't realize was that I also responded later on uh, February of 2018 um, responded to another officer involved shooting and all those triggers that I thought I had processed through all came flooding back and I fell back into another trap, you know, and my boss, you know, he's a good dude. I like him. I mean, for the most part, we, we got along until everything started falling apart for me again. And then it was, I was going into that denial trap and he was losing patience with me. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he didn't say it in so many words, but he basically made it clear. He's like, Hey man, you are fine. Knock your shit off. I mean, it's been quite a while. I don't understand what your problem is. And of course I got, I got personally offended by that. I'm going, no, your (laughs) your job is to protect me, man. You know? So it's got, it did get a little bit personal between both of us and neither one of us ever sat down and basically gave the, you know, F you speech to each other and hugged and made up. We never got to that point, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was a real shame on both of our sides because it was a failure for me to go to him. And it was a failure for him to supervise me. And I know, trust me when I tell you, anybody that knows me, I have a huge pain in the ass to to have to supervise and there's no, no question about it. But, (laughs) um, But that was when I was doing things well, you know, when I was chasing bad guys and getting in all the good stuff all the time and having fun with it, it was all great. But when I started faltering and making you know, poor decisions on the street, you know, nobody really knows what to do with that. They're like, well, uh, we don't understand, you know, Hoyer's been great for all these years and all of a sudden he's a train wreck, you know, and yeah. nobody ignored me. Don't get me wrong. Just, I didn't know how to handle it and nobody else did either, you know, right. Except for, yeah, there, was, exactly. there was a handful of people. So, but anyway, I'm getting off on a long, on a long tangent here. So. No, that's good. It's like, it's kind of like, where do you go? You know? And, and at, at the time, resources were a bit limited and resources were were not necessarily at the forefront so you you did really have to seek it out you know like right you had to hunt and google and <laughs> do all that well stuff. not only that i mean i'll be honest with you because i knew that there were a lot of other things going on at the same time and i kind of felt like well i'm no longer the flavor of the month i think i need to just kind of take a step back and let the other guys that really need the help more than i do step up to the yeah. plate and they did and you know, that was stupid. That was really stupid on my part to do that. And I had already gone through most of my, my shrink sessions and had figured out, Hey, I'm good to go. So I didn't, I wasn't going back. I went, I went there for probably a good year and mm-hmm. I figured out that I was what I thought was pretty well healed. I let it all go. I'm like, all right, cool. And then I didn't realize that no, I, there had a, there was a whole bunch of unresolved issues still. So. Right. But, right. 
Well, another thing that uh, you do in the book that I really appreciated is that you, you take accountability for some things that you feel went wrong on some calls and situations that you were involved in. Um, and I appreciate the level of owning it that you took. And I was wondering if you'd talk a little bit about that kind of accountability and ownership and what it means to you. And I know you'd mentioned that accountability is, is like the biggest thing missing. You mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I'd like, I'd like it if you would kind of unpack that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, truth be told and people that are, they're going to listen to this later on, I'll probably get a bunch of phone calls going. Yeah. Yeah. We know, man, because truth is I was great at catching. I was, a, I was phenomenal at catching bad guys. I mean, I had a sixth sense. I don't know what you call it, but bad guys just seem to always find me, but cleaning mm-hmm. them was never a strong point for me. <laughs> you know, I joked yeah. about writing police reports. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can write, um, but when it came to doing the processing, you know, the truth of the matter was once I caught them, I kind of lost interest. I'm like, Oh, sh- I don't want to spend, you know, five hours now having to, you know, write reports and put this guy in jail and then pound all the evidence and all that. That's where I, I really failed. And as a supervisor, that's gotta be incredibly frustrating. I can only imagine. Um, and don't get me wrong. It's not like I didn't do my job, but you know, there was probably a lot more I could have done to, not cut so many corners. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I never jeopardized any court cases or anything like that, but it was right, right. It was kind of like, well, you know, the guy's got, you know, all the thing, all these things going on, and I could probably follow up and get a whole lot more out of it. But I'm pretty much satisfied with what I got, and you know, it's kind of like right. a bare minimum thing, which is just you really can't do that. I mean, and I and I knew that at the time, but I was always one of those guys where, you know. I caught this and I want to go catch three or four more kind of a thing, you know? Um, so there's that portion of it, but then um, getting into the tactical side of things, that's where I feel like um, several, I mean, yeah, if you want to start talking about that here in a couple of minutes, we can get into that, but the, the level of emotions and tactics and things that happen on Dave's scene were just, I think that's where I started really looking at myself as, as failing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of feel like I didn't do a lot that I maybe should have done work-wise, but I never looked at that as a failure. That was more probably just laziness on my part. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as failures go, that's where with, with Dave's scene in particular, that's where I started looking at that. So. Gotcha. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, um, I was just talking to my crew the other day, and we all kind of came to a consensus that every negative challenge that that we face as an organization can be boiled down to accountability. Every single issue, every single one. And, and we kind of put it to the test because I made that statement, you know, every single issue can be boiled down to an accountability problem. And, you know, my crew would be like, okay, well, let's, let's test it out. And they would throw a situation out and then we would spend time tracing it back to accountability. And then it basically got to a point where, like I said, it was the consensus that we all were like, you know what, this is the thing, like, this is the issue, but uh, it goes a long way, man. Um, Good, bad, and indifferent. And I think, uh, I think it says a lot to you as far as character goes that, you know, you're willing to own it. And that's one of our, our big things is uh, it's one of the core values of ignited here. We, you know, action, ownership, and brotherhood, and that accountability is huge 
in regards to that ownership. And so that really stuck out to me and I appreciated reading all about yeah, that. Thanks. Yeah. And I, you know, I gotta say, I kind of feel, you know, somewhat responsible and guilty for, you know, not going the, the extra mile and having so many people help me all the time. And don't get me wrong. I definitely appreciated it as far as like specifically investigations and things. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of guys put out a lot more effort than I did during my investigations, which was kind of, kind of shitty. It really was. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't just show up and dump things on guys and go, you know, back right. into service and get into something else. Um, yeah. You still, you still did your job and you, you know, you, you did it as, as, as best you could. And then, but looking back, I think that's the beauty of hindsight though, too. Like looking back, you can critique it at the time when you're in it. It's pretty hard to, to see that foresight. Absolutely. You know? Oh yeah. Um, but looking especially, back, especially in the latter years. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then looking back, I think it, all it does is help you be better for the future, you know, because you, you look back, you're willing to perform that after action review, if you will, on yourself and refine things, shore things up. And so that if that thing ever happened again, or like you said, you do speaking engagements, you can convey that and, and communicate that experience to other people who might not have had that yet. And so they're going to, they're going to go into the situation that much more better prepared because of what you've been through, which I'm open. So yeah, yeah. which to me is, is the beautiful part of it all. Like it's the beauty that comes out of that tragedy, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And there's a lot of, a lot of both, a uh, whole lot yeah. of both. You know? um, yeah. And you know, it, when I was neck deep in the middle of it all, I only saw the bad side of stuff, you know, of course, um, oh, it's hard, I, man. Uh, it was impossible to, to see anything but. but once I yeah, stepped outside that world a little bit and started seeing that, hey, a lot of good things came from this, you know, not that we yeah. want to change it for that, but. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to see that light, though, sometimes when you're in it. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm a, such a proponent of like, yeah, I'm a firefighter, but that's not all I am. Like if I right. if if that were taken away, like that could be taken away from me tomorrow. I'm yeah, still, you know, a father, a husband, and and all of these other things that I am um, that help shore that up. And so I can just kind of sidestep if need be and still have that purpose. So that's awesome, man. Well, that's huge. Yeah, and I think that, you know, regardless of that, because I know a lot of my buddies, you know, they, they're cops 24 hours a day. You know, they're yeah. driving through McDonald's and speaking in code. It's like, dude, you're, you're not working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. They don't know what you're talking about. But Yeah, right. Um, and I think a lot of guys, I think truly a lot of the after-retirement deaths come from that where they are so into it so long that when they lose it or whatever it is, they don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah, you know? it's like, what do I do? My routine is gone. My it's thing, like, yeah, you my one thing. Yeah, I, I mean, but, you know, you're still, you know, a gardener or a father or, you know, a yeah. violinist or whatever it is, you know, there's yeah. gotta be something to replace or at least kind of help fulfill that, that yeah. void, you know? So. Yeah. Or an author, right? <laughs> or not. Yeah. And I tell you what, man, beyond just that purpose alone, I mean, I think that now um, I've been labeled also as an advocate for helping other people, which I don't really believe in. Um, I just, I feel like, you know, I want people to learn from my experiences and my mistakes and, right. and take something away from it, you know. If that calls me an advocate, and okay, so be it. But um, yeah, by definition, so that's, man, that's my purpose now. Is I just want to, I want to rescue the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it's true, man. It's true. We have, we have that fire burning inside, right? Oh man, I'm telling you. So, 
Well, I appreciate you meeting with me today and talking to me, man, about all this stuff. I know a lot of it's very personal and I want people to be able to read your story and read more about what you went through and read more about, uh, you know, David Glasser and, and, and the experience and the events that happened there. So how can people learn more about you? How, where can they go to buy the book? How can they connect with you? Well, it's on, uh, it's on Amazon and Kindle, of course. And mm-hmm. uh, we actually, uh, Natalie just threw it out there the other day. She goes, why don't you put that thing on eBay too? So I did that. In fact, on the, the very first day I put it out, I got, I got a sale. Haven't had oh, some nice. sense on eBay, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then oh, yeah. it's actually on, uh, it's on Sears and Walmart and Barnes and Noble, but only online. I'm trying to get it into the actual stores if yeah. I can ever explain that. And then my email is attached to the book as well. Uh, so for people that that actually are able to, to find it, uh, however they do, uh, I, I highly encourage people to reach out to me because I'm, I'm 100% up for debate on anything that I say in the book that they disagree with. I'm like, I want to I wanna know these things because I don't want my word to be gospel. I want people to say, you know what, that guy, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. You know? All right. And yeah, now, let's have a dialogue. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of course. You know, because I'm, I'm basing everything that I wrote on my own experiences, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of other people's experiences that they shared with me as well. But I can't. You know, like with Dave Grossman, love the guy to death, and I did quote him in the book, but, you know, that's his story to tell, and I say that several times in there, you know. Yeah. I don't, I don't have that story to tell, but I do have my own story, um, and if people agree with it, I want to hear that, and if they disagree with it, I want to hear that as well, you know. Yeah. So, any one of those venues, um, they, can, they can find me that way, and obviously through you now. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, myself personally, and LinkedIn too, of course, all over those three now trying to perfect and you know it's it's less about the sales because of course you know making the money would be great but that's that's never been the purpose behind it but right um, yeah it's more about the community of it in fact you know and it's crazy because you know now he's constantly yelling at me for giving too many books away because <laughs> i think i'm giving <laughs> away more than i've sold uh, <laughs> but i know she'll hear this later and she's just as guilty as i am just for the record but <laughs> however um but again it's you know i want people just to read it and then take something away from it. And that's, that's pretty much it. So that's awesome, man. That's a testament to the fact that it's more about the message than it is anything else. So that's awesome. I'll, uh, what I'll do is I'll put the, your links to everything in the show notes. And that way, if anybody who is uh, listening right now, if they want to connect with you, they can just click in the show notes and do it that way. That'd be outstanding. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Right on Chris. So we're up against time, man, but I appreciate it. This has been a good, good conversation. And I hope the more that, uh, people are willing to have conversations like this. I feel like the better we'll be able to meet those challenges that we're facing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then um, if you want to do another show later on, another time I can give you the nuts and bolts of the, the entire event of, of uh, Dave's day you know, in May of 2016 and break that thing down into every conceivable tactical scenario, emotional scenario, you know, physical scenario all the way across the board. It's, it's quite a story. As a matter of fact, if people want to hear it versus read it, um, yeah, I'm more than more than happy to get back with you if you want to do it another okay. time. So, okay, man, good to know. Right on. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I'll let you go, buddy, and uh, we'll right, be in right. touch. Right on. Thanks. I hope you guys got a lot out of this conversation and realize that there is a lot of strength in seeking help, because ultimately, all you're doing is looking for a way to become stronger. Right? Grab a copy of Chris's book. It's like going on a ride along with the guy. It's pretty neat. 
You'll also get to read more about his experience and why he wanted to honor his friend David Glasser at the beginning of the episode. There's a link in the show notes that will send you straight to Amazon to buy the book if you want to give Jeff Bezos some more money, right? (laughs) There's also a link to the David Glasser Foundation where you can learn more about him and the foundation itself. Again, thanks so much for listening to the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share. Share these episodes with someone you think should hear them, guys. I would really appreciate it, and I think they would too. As we delve deeper into these issues, we can come together and help each other learn and grow. As we lift each other, we all become stronger. Remember, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IgnitedFF. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be Ignited. Ignited.